0: Well, I am very grateful once again to be here, and um, I'm very thankful for um, the confidence of the elders in me, and I'm thankful and humbled for the opportunities that God has given me to share His Word, and my prayer is that um, I will continue to be faithful to the calling that He has given me. Um, before we open the word of God, let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word this morning. To do so without fear of repercussions. But Lord, we pray this morning for our brothers in, in many lands who cannot do this. And we ask that you would bless them with your peace and that you would bless them With continued boldness for the gospel of Christ. And we thank you and praise you that we can become better people because you always give us the truth and you want what's best for us. And we pray that as we open this uh, book that you will speak to us in a real way and that we will be changed people for having been here. Not the same people that we were when we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to deal with the first 17 verses of the chapter. If I were to put a title on this message, I have called it, Keeping Our Focus. So if you are taking notes, which I uh, hope you, you will so that you can refer back to this and study it on your own. Um, then my, the title of my message is Keeping Our Focus. And the reason I think it's important for you to take notes is because it's not very important what I have to say. But what God has to say is very important. So I would urge you to be as the Bereans, to study the scriptures, to find if these things which I am saying are so. And uh, we're just going to start by reading the first few verses here. The first point that I have comes straight from the text. It says, set your mind on things above. That is the first point. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And as we consider this point, that we have been risen with Christ, um, that, that we need to set our affection... On things above, I think about the many distractions that the world has for us. The world would have us to pursue uh, monetary gain and momentary fame. If you've ever watched sports, you know that season to season, in whatever given sport is uh, taking place, there is a champion crowned and within a few days or even possibly within a few moments the question is asked after a champion has been crowned can they repeat? so this earthly success that so many people grasp after is not going to give lasting fulfillment because the process starts over and everything that was accomplished before that point is no longer relevant. But the life that Christ gives us, and being risen with Christ, is relevant, and will be relevant for all eternity. For Jesus said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so, Paul is saying here, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, I've heard people say, he is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. And most of the time when people say that, they mean it in a good way. They say, he's so heavenly minded, he doesn't care about the things of this earth, he's focused on God, so he's no earthly good, meaning meaning by when they say that, that he's not going to pursue the things of the earth. But I'd like to switch that phrase up a little bit and tell you that unless a man is heavenly-minded, he can be of no earthly good. Mm -hmm. The only way to be of earthly good is to be heavenly-minded. And then Paul goes on to say, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. How often do we take the time to think about the fact that when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and paid for our sins and rose again the third day, that He made us, as we accept Him, a part of His family. That we are a part of Christ. That we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ of the glories of heaven. I think sometimes we forget that in the, in the rush of life and we kind of think of Jesus as something that is an add-on to life. You'll hear, you'll hear some people um, say, "Well, my my faith doesn't influence my politics." That's a popular saying. But my friends, if my faith does not affect every part of my life, then my faith isn't where it should be. Because, as Paul said, in Him. I live and move and have my being. So my faith needs to impact every area of my life. And it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And it was mentioned today, this morning, that today might be the day that Jesus comes back. And if it is... What do you want to be found doing when he comes back? This is a convicting thing because sometimes we get into this mode where we feel like we're by ourselves and nobody knows what we're doing. But God sees. Remember what he said to Nathanael when he met him. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. This is the first Nathanael had seen of him. But Jesus had seen him. Why? Because God sees and knows all. And if we think about the fact that we are to appear in glory with Jesus Christ, then we need to prepare for that time while we are here on earth. And we need to be ready to do that. Sometimes we, we feel like we don't fit in. and Often that's thought of as a bad thing and we are told that we should try to fit in, and there are some ways in which we should. I will not negate that. I will not naysay that totally. But think about this. We are told that we are not to be in the world, or we are not to be of the world, even though we are in the world. So we are supposed to be different. And Jesus said, Happy are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Rejoice, for your reward in heaven is exceeding great. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I don't know about you, but I was made for another world. And sometimes this world and the things that we have to do in this world get me distracted from the fact that that's the case. But I'm thankful that this other world that we were made for, that I was made for, that you are made for, is a world without pain, a world without sickness, a world without tears, a world without wheelchairs, a world without financial concern. Whatever problem you're facing today, the world that we have to look forward to is absent of that problem. And that gives me great peace and confidence to go into the future following my shepherd, Jesus Christ. If someone could look up and read for me Galatians 2.20 or perhaps quote it, if you know it by heart, this is a familiar passage. Um, I would appreciate it. This again is, is Paul speaking. And uh, it's a very good statement to sum up what we've talked about in this first point. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, in this passage, is saying, I am crucified with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that the old man is crucified and done away with. And he's saying, when I gave my life to Christ, I died. Jesus said, he who keeps his life will lose it. By he who loses his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. And Paul had everything going for him as it pertains to earthly success. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He he had every uh, earthly accolade. But he said he gave it all up. Counted it all rubbish that he might gain Christ. Are we willing to give everything up to gain Christ? I need to ask myself this question on a regular basis, more often than I do now. And I think we would all do well to ask ourselves this question. The second point that I have for you today is put off sin. Put off sin. It says in Colossians, starting in chapter 3, verse 5, going back to our main text, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them, but now you have put (coughs) off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free but Christ is all and in all. As we look at this list it's easy to look at the world and say you worldly people look at all these things you've done wrong. But if you're anything like me you can see yourself in this list. And you can see that without the grace of God you would be of all men most miserable because you would be a slave to one or more of these sins. And Paul is saying, Jesus won the victory for you. Remember, we said in the early verses that we are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. We are made the righteousness of God in Him. And because of that, because we are dead, we can put off sin. When we were dead, we had no choice but to sin. Because that's the natural condition of mankind. But when we become alive to Christ, we become dead to sin. So you can't be alive to two natures at once. You can only be alive to one at a time. And so if you're dead in your sins, you can't be alive to Christ. But if you're dead, to your sins, you can be alive in Christ. And I think this is so important, along with our next point, which we'll get to in a moment, because I think sometimes we even, as Christians, think that we can live our life and live the Christian life in the flesh. And we forget to put off the old things. We we tend to embrace the old nature at times because it's still warring in our members, trying to get us to fail. Mm -hmm. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to believe that you are a failure and that there is nothing that could save you. There's nothing in yourself that could save you, but the blood of Jesus Christ can and will save you. Because it's the most powerful cleansing agent ever. And as we think about these sins, you know, a lot of these sins are related to anger that are in this list. And it is a problem that we all face. I know I deal with it. Here's what a Chinese proverb says about anger, and I thought it was very good. And and the Bible has some proverbs that that deal directly with that as well, but here's what it says. It says, The fastest horse cannot catch a word spoken in anger. Once you say something in anger, you cannot take it back. God willing, you can seek forgiveness from the person who you are angry with and they will forgive you and do their best to forget. But we're not good forgetters. Except, ironically, when it comes to the promises of God. That's about the only thing that we're good at forgetting. But when it comes to offenses that other men have done to us, we tend to remember. And while some people may get hysterical when they get angry... Some of us, myself included, have a tendency to get historical. And we look through all these times when that person that we are now angry with made us angry before, and we say, if only you wouldn't do so much to make me angry, we wouldn't be in this position again. Forgetting that we have a personal responsibility in this. And that it takes two people for a conflict. Not just one. Could someone read for me 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Continuing on in these thoughts. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Oh, Corinthians, up. we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Is that the one you wanted? I. Does it continue on from there? It might might have been more than one. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Might might be first Corinthians. I might have written that down wrong. And such as some of, you, and such for yes. some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, this is another situation in 1 Corinthians where Paul is saying these were your problems but you're washed but you're sanctified. We need to live like we're washed and sanctified. We are sinners But we also have a standing in God that is righteous because of what Jesus Christ did. I am righteous. Yes, there is a sense in which I will be ultimately righteous because when Jesus Christ appears, we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. But there is a point right now in which I am righteous because of Jesus Christ. And I need to live with the confidence of that, believing that it's true because it is. I think this third point might be one of the most important and it is put on righteousness. Why do I say this? Because I think sometimes when we when we approach unbelievers or even Christians who are struggling with a particular sin, we say you need to put off you're besetting sin. You need to put your sin at the foot of the cross. But the thing is, everything we do creates something in our lives. And so if we put off sin, there will be voids in our lives. And so when we put off, the natural response should be to put on. If we don't put put on when we take off, there's going to be a void and it's going to be filled somehow. I don't know if you remember, but Jesus said that, said it this way. He said, if a person puts the demons out of their life and they sweep their life clean of the demons, but they leave it empty, then those demons that left will come and they will bring their friends and the condition of that man will be worse than the first. And so as we are dealing with sin and as we are dealing with uh with things that we need to put out of our lives that's great but we need to find things good to put in our lives and I think this is the place where we miss the boat often because we go to places like the jail or like Mel Trotter Mission or anywhere we are or even in our churches and we say put off sin but we stop there Let's look at the last few verses of our text. This is Colossians 3:12 to 17. Put on therefore, remember because we took off, so Paul is saying therefore because of what he said before, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body. And be thankful. And let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So we just went through a whole list of things. That we need to put off. But Paul doesn't leave them with a void. He says, if you're going to put off these things, put on these other righteous things. For everything that we put off, we need to put on something righteous that will allow us to live a Christian life that God will be pleased with. And I think that as we endeavor to do discipleship as an assembly, and also as individuals, we need to be doing this. We need to let people know that it's not as simple, it's not just a stopping point to come to Christ, or to, to, to answer a call to come to Christ. It's a starting point. And we need to encourage people to build on that foundation to incorporate these things. We're told to lie not to one another. Why? Because God himself does not lie. He said in one point am I am I a man that I should lie? No. He always tells the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But you know what? If you have an infection in your foot, I'll use that because I've had them. If I get an infection in my foot and I decide, you know, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm not going to worry about it. I could lose my foot. And... It's painful to go to the doctor and have them prod that infection and have them give me a shot or be hooked up to an IV because of that foot. But you know, the reason that I do that is because I want to save my foot. And at the end of the day, I still have my foot because I did what was required to get rid of that infection. And we, as believers, have an infection. Or as people, I should say. We still struggle with it as believers. But as people, we have an infection and it's called sin. And sin for the unbeliever totally separates them from God. And sin for the believer takes away our fellowship with God. David, when he was repenting from his sin with Bathsheba and for the murder of Uriah, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because he knew that his place, his closeness with God was affected by his sin. I believe it's David also that said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if you want the Lord to hear you, then you need... To be honest with Him. And keep short accounts. I think it's significant. A couple different things here. We're told not to lie to one another. We're told to forgive one another. Why? Because Jesus Christ forgave us. Because Jesus Christ in His mercy forgave us. And think about this. There was no reason why He should have forgiven us. Often, we, we forgive people based on how they respond to us. But the Bible says, while we are yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And it says that no one sought after God. And so each of us that is redeemed by the blood of Jesus is sitting here because God sought after us. And then uh, another thing that it says here is be thankful. You know, it also uses that in Romans chapter 1 when it says they did not honor God in their hearts nor were they thankful. You know, that can be seen as a relatively small thing, being thankful. But it's, it's the start of a big thing. You know, the children of Israel were the perfect example of that. I just started reading Judges again today. and After Joshua died and they had said, you know what, we're going to do everything that you said for us to do. We're going to honor God and follow His commandments because you have been faithful and you've told us to be the same And it says that they followed God all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that followed Joshua. But once those people were gone, they stopped telling the stories of God's deliverance. And therefore, they stopped being thankful. And they probably started to think, look at what we did. Look how great we are that we conquered these lands. We need to be thankful, my brothers and sisters. That's why it's so great that we can do the Lord's Supper every week because I don't have to wait a month. I don't have to wait a month to be thankful. I don't have to wait a day, but it's great to start the week with thankfulness to God for what He's done. Um could somebody read Colossians four six? Colossians four six. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so you will know how you should respond to each other to each person. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, so you will know how to respond to each person. How do we know? We follow the example in Scripture. The greatest example of how to respond to each person was Jesus Christ. If you read the Gospels, sometimes Jesus had to give a scathing rebuke. But other times, a tender look, as in the case of Peter, was all that it took to convey, convey his message. And sometimes, as was said in. One of the messages from the conference, we oversalt. Yes, we're salty, and yes, we're called to be salty, but if you oversalt something, what's going to happen? I remember one story, I wasn't there, but my uncle took my brother out to eat once. And my uncle left the table, it was a buffet restaurant, to get his food. And my brother was eating his applesauce, and he said to my uncle, This isn't good. And my uncle took a bite and realized that my brother had added about half of the salt shaker to the applesauce <laughs> and therefore spoiled it. Salt is good. Many of us prefer salty things, and once we've had salty things, then we're thirsty. But we need to work on not oversalting, giving people love and encouragement. While we're also giving them the truth. And I know this is a challenge because when you start to preach the truth, even if you're doing it lovingly, people will say that you don't love them, that you're a bigot. But we have to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the only perfect man that ever was, was crucified on a cross. I'm nowhere near perfect. So I don't deserve anything better. I just want to close with this illustration of how a good Christian should apply these verses. This is particularly important for married couples. I really like this illustration. It says, A couple married for 15 years began to have more than usual disagreements. They wanted to make their marriage work and agreed upon an idea the wife had. For one month, they planned to drop a slip in a fault box. The boxes would provide a place to let the other know about daily irritations. The wife was diligent in her efforts and approach, leaving the jelly top off the jar, wet towels on the shower floor, dirty socks not in the hamper, on and on until the end of the month. After dinner, at the end of the month, they exchanged boxes. The husband reflected on what he had done wrong. Then the wife opened the box and began reading. All the messages in the wife's box were the same. The message on each slip was simply, I love you. May we have that response to one another. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. May we see that verse come alive in our assembly and in our families. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of this passage of scripture from Colossians chapter 3. We thank you that when you tell us to put certain things out of our lives, you give us rich things to add to our lives in return. And we pray that we won't stop with the putting off, but that we will joyfully put on these wonderful gifts that you've given us. We pray that our response To others will be one of love, where we say to one another, Instead of rehashing old things, we say, I love you. For that's what Jesus said. His first words to his disciples after his resurrection were Peace be unto you. And so may we echo our Master. I pray that you would be with us for uh, the remainder of this time. Bless the fellowship around the table for the fellowship meal. Bless the conference later. And may we always strive to realize that our lives are hid with Christ in God. And that he has wonderful plans for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.